You're listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell, bringing theology to life. You're listening to 93.1 Life FM. You're tuned to On The Level, Life FM's radio magazine. Providing you with a healthy balance of news, music, entertainment and information to keep you and your family on the level. Here's Arthur Shortle. You are listening to 93.1 Life FM. Thomas Fretwell is a man in is a man, I should say, in the UK who holds many hats or has many hats or even wears many hats. He is a youth pastor, he's energy assessor as well, but he's also an associate tutor in theology at King's Evangelical Divinity School in the UK. He's written a book called Who Am I? Human Identity and the Gospel. And Thomas joins us on the line now to tell us more about his book. Thomas, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's quite. I'm looking through a quick review of your book. It's quite a fascinating list of articles and various sections on the on the uh, the book. I am. It speaks about uh, the first thing. I suppose uh, just give us a brief overview before we go into the book about yourself, your own background, if you would. Uh, yeah, sure. No problem. So I've been a Christian for quite a number of years now. Me and my whole family became Christians over a period of, of sort of 10, 15 years. And since then, I've been studying theology and speaking quite widely for, as, as you said there, for ministries like Creation Ministries International. And I do quite a number of uh, apologetics events. I'm also an assistant pastor. So I've got a lot of hats, like you said, and I do an, a number of things. And this is really where I, I focus just to give glory to the Lord and sort of help people understand the word of God. That's one of my main main passions in life. Your book, if I'm right to say, is called Who Am I, Human Identity and the Gospel? Give us an understanding of the the inspiration for this, how this book came about. Uh, it really sort of had its origin actually during the years when I, I was doing a lot of youth ministry and it was d- discussing and speaking with young people and hearing the concerns that they had. A lot of these were revolving around the issue of human identity and, and all the things that sort of are associated with that, like what is the me- is there any meaning to life? What is the value, the intrinsic value of a human being? And is there any ultimate purpose or, or destiny for, for humanity? Why are we here? So all of these questions I see as were sort of connected to this issue of understanding what it means to be human. And as I was looking around in the culture, I was seeing that the answers that were being given to young people were not particularly good. There was a lot of confusion, a lot of things that were not actually helping them. So it was really a desire to offer a a biblical understanding of humanity. And and as I sort of started researching this, I, I did notice that it's not obviously just young people that struggle with this issue. There seems to be a sort of global human identity crisis going on in our world at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really where the book was was birthed, and it's grown obviously from that. Uh, give us an understanding of the atheistic viewpoint and the the creation viewpoint in terms of God created us or we just came here by accident. It depends very much, of course, on the glasses we look or the viewpoint we have can shape and very much our view on our expectations of ourselves and our own viewpoint of why are we here. Atheists as such, they can be quite nihilism is, is, is quite an interesting term but uh, your book describes this give us some more detail of this if you would yeah absolutely so so in in the first few chapters as i'm kind of laying the groundwork to the things we're going to look at i'm focusing on the meaning and meaning that we have in life and i and i use obviously the christian worldview and the atheist worldview as two ways to sort of contrast this because it's it's one of these issues that that it is very much connected to your view of god you see, in the biblical worldview, we, we have a transcendent creator 
that was responsible for bringing this world into being and for bringing human life into existence. And therefore, he is outside of the physical creation. And, and this um, kind of gives us a transcendent purpose in life. Um, full, full stop, basically. And this is a connection that many people have made. Just to, just interestingly, there was an internet search engine called Ask Jeeves. It, it existed sort of before the world of Google. But they used to do a thing called the top 10 unanswerable questions. And this was based on over 1 billion searches. People would, would go on the website and they'd ask questions. The number one question that people asked was, what is the meaning of life? And interestingly, the second question they asked, is there a God? The people mm. sort of intuitively had this notion that these two concepts were very much linked. Is there any meaning to life? If there's a God, then there probably is some sort of transcendent purpose. And whereas the atheist, if there is no God, there can really be no transcendent purpose and they have to sort of scramble around for meaning in life through other things. Uh, the, the atheist Bertrand Russell said it best. He said, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. And he, he later went on to famously say that mankind is nothing more than a collection of atoms. And this is the sort of worldview that we see being pushed in, in our world today, a very sort of materialistic uh, worldview that many people hold. It is hard to find a transcendent meaning in that. And I see you know, we're having a lot of ramifications manifest in our culture because of that worldview. As you say, if we're just a collection of atoms, then our purpose could very much be focused towards, be it the environment, be it the animals, be it whatever it is, our jobs, our careers, we pour ourselves into. Of course, these things are only transitory, yeah. but as people who are much more than just a random collection of atoms, people who are created uniquely by God, who are loved dearly by God, just summarize, if you could, what, what, what is the purpose then and of us from the, from, from the godly point of view? Well, I mean... <clears throat> Uh, well, oh, that's such a great topic. There's so many things. I mean, uh, cheaply, we could sum it up in the words of the Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is obviously one of the ultimate purposes. And uh, every worldview, you see, will have to answer a number of questions. One will be origins. Where do we come from? Why are we here? One is meaning. Another is identity. Another is morality. And another is destiny. Where are we going? All of these things are encapsulated with a worldview. And, and the biblical uh, answer to all of these things offers a, a very logically consistent explanation of all of these things. Whereas the atheist worldview has trouble actually finding a, a real reason to answer some of these things. And uh, like I said, this is actually manifesting in our culture in a number of ways. If I just share with you a, a recent statistic that we had in, in the UK, mm -hmm. it said that 89%, that's about nine in, nine in 10 of young people aged 16 to 29, believe that their life has no meaning or purpose. Hmm. Now, that's an incredibly high statistic there. And I, and I think, obviously, from a Christian perspective, we know that if God created us, he created us with a purpose. It says all throughout the Bible that he has a destiny prepared for us. There is meaning to life, and it, it is obviously encapsulated in the person of Jesus Christ primarily. And in that question that uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? This is the foundation of the biblical worldview. But it's no surprise that we're not seeing the, the biblical worldview, you know, as popular as it once used to be in this nation and we're seeing instead these materialistic worldviews being pushed through education establishments and through the media and people are as this survey shows nine in ten people now are not you know there's no meaning to their life and the same article that released those results actually had a very an, another statistic that really helps explain this in my view only one percent of that same surveyed group identified as belonging to a church hmm. 
Interesting. So I think that, you know, and it goes back to those, those asked Jeeves questions. What is the meaning of life? Is there a God? These things are just intimately connected. As much as we try and deny that or we try and uh, say that they're not, the question of God is the ultimate question in life. You mentioned earlier on about being able to enjoy God. For me, before I became to understand who God was and me in terms of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, I never imagined him as somebody to be able to enjoy and take take purpose from him. But I always viewed God perhaps as somebody with a big stick in the sky waiting to beat mm. me if I stepped out in line. But you mentioned about enjoying God. How, describe that to us. Describe the possibilities. Describe the reality of that to us, if you would. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I think many people should have shared that that caricature of God that you just mentioned there. And it's, you know, this sort of lawgiver in the sky who's looking down on us. And uh, as soon as we step out of line, he's he's there to, to judge us. But obviously, this is a, a caricature of the Christian story. What Once we understand the full biblical worldview, that this is a God who created because it was an expression of his love, that who, a God who wanted to come down and dwell with his creatures and be in relationship with them, just as we remember we read about Adam and Eve walking in the garden with their creator and we see this all through the narrative god came down to dwell in the tabernacle to dwell in the temple and ultimately he came down incarnate to dwell with us to tabernacle among us as the person of jesus christ and when we understand that he was doing this for the purpose that he could become that sacrifice for our sins he would be able to you know, give us that access to to the father in that sense and it says that in the father's presence is fullness of joy so the first step we really have to have to enjoying god is understanding of how much he loves us we it, you know says in the bible doesn't it we, we we love him because he first loved us and then when we have that relationship and we actually start realizing that his spirit is changing us, is transforming us we start to love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates and we start to just understand what it means to be adopted by the king of the universe that is when we really move into that that element where god is not just an abstract concept in our in our philosophy or, or a, a reason to argue about on the internet it is actually a personal living relationship we have with the king of the universe and this is when your christian faith will really come alive and and i believe for me anyway my personal experience that is really where the enjoyment of being a christian comes as we start seeing the world through biblical spectacles we we understand the, the creationist worldview we understand all of these principles that god has revealed to us in his world and it is a fulfilling worldview and it's obviously one of the i would say the greatest story that we have in this world to tell of course, we are adopted. You mentioned about adoption. Of course, no doubt Jesus Christ adopted us because he loves us more than we could ever imagine. That has to be, of mm -hmm. course, the very basics. You mentioned in your book, of course, the title being Who Am I? Human Identity and the Gospel in a Confusing World. In a Confusing World, very much, of course, the, the most important thing of one of the most important things is having the right starting point in terms of origins of belief when dealing with this core question that the book is, is titled on. You, in your book, you, you included some interesting points in terms of contemporary culture. You looked at things like Les Miserables, The Matrix, and so forth, you know, the Valls versus Dawkins interview. Give us some background about the importance of having the right starting point in terms of origins of belief. Yes, I mean, this is really just foundational to anyone, any Christian, I believe, who needs to form a biblical worldview. Because like like a ship, if you're if you're heading in a direction and, and you're sort of, you know one or two degrees off course, then by the time you get to your destination, you can actually be miles away from where you intended to be. And that same principle applies to those to Christians who, who want to formulate a, a proper comprehensive biblical worldview. And that means origins is obviously one of those very first questions that we, we have to ask. And as 
as Christians, our belief is that God has spoken through Scripture. He has revealed himself, obviously, through his Son, but through his written word. And these are our authority in life. So when we formulate our ideas about the world, about how we came to be, about what we're here for, we have to go to the word of God as our primary starting point. And, and when we contrast this with the, with the atheist worldview, so obviously they believe there is no God, therefore no revelation in that sense. Therefore, it is not the word of God that is the authority. It is, in fact, the word of man. And you start with man's opinion. And I'm not saying that man doesn't have some good opinions in, in one sense, but obviously we know that man is a fallen creature and we only see sort of dimly in many senses. So there is there's the issue of sin that comes into that. So it's the word of God that must be our authority and the starting point for any comprehensive biblical worldview. Indeed, your book describes the biblical perspective of human beings and very much God's faithfulness and love for each and every one of us, a, a love that you know, it's so big and so great that we can't ever comprehend it. But tell us how you actually brought in the point of, for example, uh, you spoke about the Apollo 8 broadcast on Christmas Eve 1968 and various other things such as that. Uh, give us an indication of how you brought these points into your book, things like Les Miserables as well. Uh, it gives the background and understanding of these. Oh, well, I'll talk about the Apollo 8, if I may. That's one of my favorite illustrations that I, that I always use. So the Apollo 8, 1968, I believe it was, uh, mission to go around the dark side of the moon, so to speak. And uh, if, if many people are familiar with that, there was a very famous episode as the astronauts came around the dark side of the moon and they, they laid their eyes upon that first glimpse of the, the blue marble, the globe, the Earth there from that perspective, the way, where man had never seen before. Mm -hmm. Sort of, I always like to say that until then, that view had been reserved for God alone but man was now looking at this and what the astronauts did is why I like to tell this story because as they're confronted with this what must have been one of the most awe-inspiring moments that, that they'd probably ever seen that we have maybe seen up until that point in our in our history they didn't go to the words of, of Russell that we're nothing that a, but a collocation of atoms, that life is meaningless, all these sorts of things. What they in fact did was they opened the word of God and they read from the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mm. And for me, you see, that sort of really encapsulates when we, you know, we know that there was a thing called natural revelation in the Bible. You know, it says the heavens declare the glory of God and his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world in Romans 1. It says both of those things. So I think there's nothing more fitting than to read the word of God about God creating when you when you have that view. And why I bring this into the book is because it was interesting, the response to that event. Now, that was broadcast down to the earth on Christmas Eve, in fact. Mm -hmm. And I find that I, I call that a providential irony because, you know, you, you see the contrast as obviously millions of people around the world are turning their attention to this baby in a manger. God is almost reminding them through this event that that same, same person that you're worshipping as a baby is also the one that created all of this in his awesome power. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's, I, I, love, I just love that story. But the American Atheists Association, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, she was very put out by the fact that the words of God were attributed to this moment. Mm -hmm. uh, because obviously in that worldview, it, it, you know, to attribute the beauty of the creation to a creator is anathema to the, to the atheist worldview. So she actually tried to sue NASA for that. She didn't get far, but that's what she tried to do. And this really just con contrasts the two approaches to how we view the world. Because in the atheist worldview, it's, you know, it's the product of basically the Big Bang and cosmic evolution. And in the biblical worldview, God says that he created the world to be inhabited. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we know, we know the story for that. So the contrast really couldn't be more great. And I always like to bring it back, like, again, for the purpose of writing this book, was that sad statistic that we see? 
that we have such an amazing story to tell that is you know we have evidence for it we have the story of of the gospel and all these things that we talk about that the atheist worldview does not have and that's why i believe you know nine in ten people don't believe there's any meaning in life because most of them are being fed the materialistic and atheist worldview you know it's our job and that's one of the ministries that cmi is involved with is telling the story of biblical creation the authority of the word of god and and hopefully counteracting some of that influence with, with the power of the gospel interesting on two points one is that we're just a random bunch of atoms randomly put together on the other side is there is a god who loves us more more than we could ever imagine and he knitted us together individually and uniquely he loves us uh, on the same point just uh tell us about the the ricky gervais and the Dawkins. ricky uh, gervais ricky yeah, gervais yeah, so yeah, the episode yeah yeah so that was i mean i was basically using it as an illustration there, there was an interview done by gervais and dawkins so it was kind of a back and forth they were sort of just having a conversation basically and, and ricky gervais he, he said something he was talking about obviously him and dawkins were both hard, hard materialist atheists in that sense and he was talking about uh, free will the concept of or, you know freedom of choice these sorts of things and he he made the comment that he admits that it does seem like we have free will, but his his atheism, his determinism, doesn't allow him to really have the idea of those non non material concepts such as free will and independent minds. So he made the statement that even if it it's not true, it doesn't matter because it feels like we have it, so it's fine anyway. And, and I was just picking up on that and saying that, well, surely, if it's not actually true, but you you think it's true, then you know you're actually deluded if you're believing that so it's not a good explanation just to shrug your shoulders and say ah this is how it is when we're actually dealing with the concept of truth if it's not truth you need to come out and say it and this is one of the it was a very interesting episode to watch because dawkins and gervais they they was kind of speaking about the same point but they kept having a different way of describing it and, and dawkins was sort of cringing slightly as he knew gervais was saying some things that weren't actually correct for his worldview and it was just a very funny episode but what it illustrated to me is that the atheist worldview really has no place for for non-material entities like uh, freedom of the will and material minds and these sorts of things so then i relate it to that they are in fact happy to continue living with this delusion as long as they're allowed to think that they operate in this way it, it, you have to really watch or read the book read the book i'll say it's a plug for the book there mm -hmm. well, i think you can actually find the full interview on youtube still and it, it's very it's an illuminating conversation to say the least interesting of course i'll come back to the world view or to the uh, to which point of view we start with the bunch of atoms or the, the loving creator but of course very much the world view uh, there's it very much develops and drives a sense of insecurity and emptiness within people if we just think we're a bunch of random bunch of random atoms but nevertheless social media particularly the whole it very much creates your book speaks about the obsession of self-image and affirmation very much of course which belies people uh, people's insecurity and emptiness tell us about this if you would yeah, so I, I really use that as a way as we sort of start talking about the the wider culture. And I think everyone knows who, who's engaged in, in social media and technology that it can be very all-consuming. And it, it can turn our focus, I think, in an unhealthy way toward, towards ourselves or towards those around us. And it can create insecurities and anxieties. And these things are coming to light now. We've, we've really had a, a, a kind of guinea pig generation as we, this te technological revolution has uh, taken hold across the world. And, and don't misunderstand me, I, I'm not against technology. I think in many ways it's a great uh, expression of, of the dominion mandate in Genesis. However, we must understand that inherent in man is a propensity to sin 
Therefore, we will be using these things in many ways that are harmful to us. And we are seeing this now as we see a sort of a, this whole concept of, of self-love and technology addictions and all the various different ways that this is manifesting in our culture, uh, lack of so social ethics and all these all these things that are being pushed through the sort of the window to the soul. It used to be the eyes. Now I say it's the phones, these mm -hmm. sorts of things. And it's it's quite it, it can be quite damaging, and I'm not saying we need to, to ban these things, but I'm saying as Christians, it should be our responsibility to make sure that we, we have, a, again, we analyze this from a biblical perspective. We understand these issues, and we understand that although uh, you know, there, are, there is bad that can happen to it, we can use them for good too. Technology is used in many ways for, for, for the gospel and for great good around the world. So it's not, it's not about technology. It's more about the way that I think for a generation that is struggling with issues of meaning and purpose, just seeing the eyes through the, the world of, of the media, which is the way it's often presented on these devices, is not going to be helpful. We, we need to take a step back and see the world again through a biblical perspective. Mm -hmm. Your book deals with the points, and some interesting points, of course, as well. Quite, It could well be said to be from... Uh, quite adeptly and tastefully from that point of view, but it shows how society has very much moved to, to reject absolutes, of course, rather than very much affirming human dignity and the value of human beings. So, of course, this leads to things like abortion and so forth. Explain to us, if you would, besides that, in addition to that, of course, how evolutionary biology impacts human identity, how you've discussed that in your book as well. Discuss that to us. Uh, explain that to us, if you would. Yeah, sure. So again, this, and this is the reason why I believe all these questions do come back to, to human identity at this point, because what does really what, what does the, the worldview of Darwinian evolution do for human identity? Ultimately, it says, you know, if, if I just give you a quick definition of, of when I talk about the evolutionary worldview, I, I'm saying that all living forms in the world have arisen from a single source, which itself came from an inorganic form. That, that's a textbook definition from an evolutionary uh, textbook. But it, it basically posits that all life forms today have evolved from an original primordial life. Uh, and this first life, from this first life, we, we, we have all the diversity that we see today. Now, in this view, humanity is nothing more, really, than a highly evolved primate. You see, our existence is the mere accident and the outcome of time, chance, and natural selection. Ultimately, this means that mankind holds no privileged position in the universe. Uh, and let me just quote, quote Peter Singer. He's a Princeton ethicist. He, he said this. He said, life as a whole had no meaning. Life began, as the best available theories tell us, in a chance combination of molecules. It then evolved through random mutations and natural selection. All this just happened. It didn't happen for any purpose. And you see, once you remove uh, transcendent meaning and morality from the worldview, you'll start to see things uh, manifest that obviously are taking these things to our to their log logical conclusion. Evolutionary biologist Jerry Coyne, he said, there is no special purpose to your life, no more extrinsic purpose than a squirrel or an armadillo. You see, now, if we're, if we're telling humanity that there is no meaning, no purpose to their life than, you know, than rodents and these sorts of things, what do you think is going to happen from this? And unfortunately, the story of, of evolutionary history over the years, as it has sort of been adapted and moved into human society, it has caused some very, very worrying things. And uh, we go into a, a little bit of detail in that in the book. We don't go into huge amounts of detail. It's a massive subject. But we, we try and show the way that when... Uh, evolutionary biology and, and was applied to human society we call this social darwinism that it manifests in things you know racism and all sorts of, of terrible things that we see that actually have their roots in this theory 
you call it the, the bad fruit from the tree of life is, is the way it's often said Coming back to your point your core point of course either we look upon ourselves as a bunch of random molecules or atoms put together eventually comparing ourselves to, to rodents and so forth or else we look upon some we look upon ourselves who are uniquely created by a loving creator it gives us hope gives us ultimately a purpose in life so mm-hmm. it can be quite easy quite uh, easy to go down the road of a uh, meaningless but once we make the choice no doubt to uh, take the choice make the choice to understand who god is well that totally changes our perspective Absolutely. And, and let, let me, if I may, just, just quote to you an evolutionist, again, Bill Provine. He really just sort of has a quote here that summarizes just what we've been talking about a little bit here. He, he said this, let me summarize what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. He says, one, there are no gods. That's what we've been talking about, the two starting points. Then he says, because of that, there are no purposes, no goal-directed forces of any kind, no life after death. When I die, I'm certain that I'm going to to be dead and then he says this and this is very illuminating there is no ultimate foundation for ethics mm-hmm. no meaning to life and no free will for humans either so in that one quote he really touches on everything that we've been saying here that is in complete opposition to every step of the biblical worldview and it just shows you how these two worldviews are so contrasted and why we're having this surge of people who are just in life scrambling around for meaning with their hope hopelessness and despair it's because of worldviews like this, whereas we know as biblical Christians that this is just anathema, really, to what we believe. We, we have a God who created, a God who loves, a God who came to die for us, one who wants to give us life and life in its fullness, and there is meaning to life. He wants us to be his ambassadors here on earth. So we, we have a full life to live in that sense as Christians. And I'm not saying that doesn't come with trials and persecution and all the things accompanied with that in many ways, but we have that ultimate purpose, which I think gives us hope and joy in this world. Indeed hope and joy is what it's about Thomas Fretwell, author of the book Who Am I? Human Identity in the Gospel I really enjoy listening to you speak about your book and I do hope because there's a lot more we can speak about uh, in terms of the contents of the book and I hope you'll come back to speak to us again perhaps hopefully next week if you've time or the week after depending on our schedule but no problem. Uh, thanks so much for joining us this morning and I do hope to talk to you again soon Lovely, thanks for having me thanks Bye. For You are listening to 93.1 Life FM You've been listening to Theology and Apologetics This podcast is supported by your generous donations. To help us continue to bring you great content, please visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash theologyandapologetics. If you've been blessed by this podcast, please leave us a review and remember to connect with us on social media. For more resources, please go to theologyandapologetics.com. Thanks for listening.